0: It's a joy to be in the house of the Lord again this morning. A welcome to all of you that are here. Uh, some friends of ours visiting with us this morning. It's so good to have Daniel and Michelle Holster and their family here. Uh, Jameson, nice to have you with us as well. And perhaps some others that are visiting with us. Uh, Lord bless you. I trust our time of, of studying God's Word can be profitable to our personal lives. A couple things I'll mention before we get into the message. The first is, uh, for those of you who are planning to help with the Echo children's uh, activity this afternoon. We'll plan to meet here at 3.30, just a reminder. Uh, we were planning to do that last Sunday, and then the weather uh, kept us from that, so we anticipate doing that this afternoon. And appreciate your prayers on our behalf as we go out uh, to meet with the children, that God would bless that effort. Moving into the message here for this morning, I begin uh, with a question for you. Imagine that you were filling out an evaluation form about yourself. And one of the questions on this evaluation form was, what is your level of love and appreciation for your church? What would you put? Or perhaps it would be better to say, imagine that one of your brothers or sisters in the congregation were filling out that evaluation form about you. Or one of your friends was filling out that evaluation form about you, what would they put, how would they rate your level of love and appreciation for your local church? Uh, would they find it easy, or Would that be difficult for them? Perhaps you're a fair weather member. Uh, yes, you love and appreciate your church when all the decisions are going your way. Or you love and appreciate your church when such and such is happening, or when you don't have to do this, or fill in the blank. But as soon as all the decisions are not going your way, then maybe you're tempted to to start church shopping. Or maybe it doesn't even get to that point. Maybe it's not that you're thinking of church shopping, but maybe in conversations in your home, or with your friends, it is very clear how you feel about that nonsense, or whatever you might say about it. Or I asked you this morning, are you truly committed? You see, along with love and appreciation uh, for your local church comes another word, and that is commitment, commitment. When I think about commitment, I different times think of, of Peter. Now in John chapter 6, Jesus was teaching some very, some very deep and difficult things. And John goes on to write there that because of this, many that had followed Jesus, many that had walked with him, they went back and walked with him no more. And you can imagine how that felt to Jesus. You can imagine in his humanity uh, the rejection, the disappointment, the heartache of that. And Jesus turns to his disciples, those the smaller group that was still with him, and he says, will you also go away? And Peter makes this great confession He says, Lord, to whom would we go? You have words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We believe and are sure that you are the Messiah. You are the one that was promised. How could we possibly go anywhere else? You are the one. Commitment. And so I asked you this morning, what is the determining factor in your commitment to your church? Is it your feelings? Is it your level, or I should say, is it your perceived level of spirituality of your congregation? Is it the church standards? You know, uh, yes, I'm committed to my church. As long as we can do this, or as long as I can wear this, or as long as I don't have to do this. What are the determining factors in your level of commitment? Let me just say that if those are the things that determine your commitment, your commitment to your local church will be short-lived. It will not last long. Or is your commitment to your church body rooted in something much deeper Something much more solid than those things. I invite you to Psalm 137. And I just want to challenge each one of us uh, this morning to grow in our love and appreciation, to grow in our commitment to our local church body. And I've chosen this title, Commitment to the Local Church. Commitment to the local church. Now, it has been rightly observed that love and appreciation for the local church and a vibrant spiritual life usually are found together. The two go hand in hand. I say a love and appreciation for the local church and a vibrant spiritual life, those two typically are found together. It's interesting, in the Psalms, we find example of this different times. And here is one. In Psalm 137, notice verses 1 through 6. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us, required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Now, you you notice here that they they are saying this in a mocking kind of way. They want to be entertained. The captors want to be entertained. But I want you to note the response of the captives. You see, the songs of Zion were precious to them. That was their worship. That was their praise to God. That was devotion to God. And now the captors are saying, we want to be entertained. Sing us one of your worship songs. And they respond by saying, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Now, we must keep in mind that in the Old Testament, Jerusalem was a type of the church. You see, for the Israelites... Jerusalem was not only their capital city, but it was also their worship center. You see, for the spiritual Israelites, they associated Jerusalem with God because that's where the temple was. That's where the Holy of Holies was. With the mercy seat. That's where God promised to meet his people. That's where lives were restored, relationships were restored. That's where you got right with God. That's where beautiful things happened. It was a place of forgiveness, a place of mercy, a place of experiencing God's blessing. And so the spiritual Israelites associated Jerusalem with God. And now, in the context of this passage here, that was gone. The children of Israel had been taken captive and moved far away from their homeland. And in this chapter, we picture them sitting down by the river in Babylon with their head in their hands, grieving. They were experiencing the sorrow of being separated from something that they loved and appreciated dearly, and now it was gone. And their loss was almost more than they could bear. We today ought to have this same kind of admiration, this same kind of appreciation for the church as those devout Israelites had for Jerusalem. In fact, the church is now the dwelling place of God. God dwells in us. He dwells in his people, in our hearts. And so, once again, what level of love and appreciation do you have for the church? For the people of God that you mingle closely with, that you fellowship with, that you worship with on a regular basis? And, and I don't know, perhaps your commitment is lacking a bit this morning. Perhaps you feel sometimes that the church is a bit more of a burden than it is a blessing. I don't know where you're at this morning in that But I want to challenge you to pause for just a moment and to imagine your life without the church. Take out all the services that we have. Take out the church activities. Take out the prayer breakfast. Take out the ladies banquet. Take out the sewing circle. Take out the school. Take out all of those things. All of those things. Take out the relationships. Take... Imagine your life for a moment without the church. Someone has said before that a good way to grow in your appreciation for something is to try to imagine life without it. It reminds me of my dear mother who used to scold me a bit when I was wishing that I could go see my girlfriend again. And it had been a whole week since I had seen her. And mom would say, Josh absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I would say, well, I would feel like saying be quiet. No it doesn't. But you know, as I get older, I think there's truth in that. I see it a little bit more clearly perhaps than I did in that moment. But there's something true about that. That when you're taken away from what you love and appreciate, it becomes even dearer to you. And so in this passage, the Israelites were experiencing life without the church, as it were, and their sorrowful spirit is a clear indication of the deep love and appreciation that they had for it. Verse 6, if I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy, or if I do not consider that... My highest joy. My highest priority in life. What is it that truly concerns you? What is it that brings the greatest disappointments to your life? What is it that keeps you awake at night? Is it that you recently lost a thousand dollars or two in a business dealing? Is that what it is? Or is it that. There's a brother or sister in the church that is struggling spiritually and needs help. Is it that there's a family in need that needs your assistance? What is it that truly concerns you? And I'm challenged by this little passage here. To desire God, to desire God's people, to desire my church more than my own earthly interests. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 2, and I'd like to spend more time here. Acts chapter 2, and we'll look at the last number of verses of this passage where we have the example of the early church. Now, if there was ever a model church, this was certainly it. And yes, let me make it clear, though, It was made up of people just like us, okay? Because sometimes we look at this passage and we hold them up as ideal. I mean, wow! They must have had it all together. Now, they did have some good things going, for sure. But they were people just like us. They were human beings. They had struggles. They experienced failures. They experienced discouragements. They were not perfect. But they had a very deep love for Jesus. Out of that love for Jesus came a love for each other. And that is very obvious in this little passage here in the latter part of chapter 2. But it's a beautiful picture of a body of believers who displayed sincerity of life, who displayed a commitment, unity, selflessness, selflessness, okay, uh, who displayed joy. I believe joy was a product ...of those things working within them. You see, their appreciation for the local church... ...was made evident by how they related to one another. And I want you to get that. Their appreciation for the local church... ...was made evident by how they related to each other. Or we could put it this way. Their salvation experience was validated... By their sincere sacrificial love for each other. But why should that be surprising? Jesus said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. Okay, that speaks of that salvation experience. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you really love me. No. If you love one another. If you love one another. That's proof that your salvation experience is real, is authentic, if you can love one another selflessly, sacrificially. And we find that in here. Let's start with verse 37. Now when they heard this, when they heard what? Well, Peter had just preached a powerful sermon here under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, they were cut to the heart, they were convicted. And he and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. You, you see how the gospel was being opened up very clearly to all mankind. This was not just for the Jewish people. This was for everyone. Salvation truly is about Jesus Christ. And he was making it clear. That in this new dispensation, salvation is extended to everyone, everyone. Verse 40 And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation, or from this crooked generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, or, an awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need." And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness or sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Or the Lord added daily those that were being saved, those were added to the church. Now, I want you to note, first of all, That the church was made up of people who experienced a real and defining conversion. Notice verse 37. Peter's powerful preaching brought conviction. It moved them to action. They heard the word. And through the aid of the Holy Spirit, they were convicted. And they responded, what shall we do? What should we do about what we've heard? It pricked their hearts. It cut them to their heart. And then Peter gives clear direction in verses 38 through 40. And in fact, Luke writes here that this is just really a a snippet of what he said. Luke implies here that he couldn't possibly get the whole sermon recorded because Peter said a lot of other things too, but he got the gist of it. But Peter gives them clear direction, and then verse 41 Those who gladly received the word were added to the church that day. Or those who freely received, those who cheerfully, those who joyfully received the word. Those were the church members. Those are the ones who are now the body of Christ. It tells me that salvation, well these people didn't didn't accept salvation out of peer pressure. (laughs) They didn't simply go forward as it were, because they seemed like it was the right thing to do, or because many of their friends were, which was the case. Many of their friends were, I guess. No, that wasn't it. But the fact that Peter's message caused them to ask, what shall we do, and then they gladly received the word, are clear indicators that their conversion experience was real. It was personal to them. And this was the foundation, I say this, this was the foundation that the early church was built on. And that is so foundational. A real, personal, authentic, life-changing conversion experience. And I believe that is why we can read An example like this, a church that worked together, that lived together, that shared together, that ate together. There was beauty in it because it was made up of people who had truly given their hearts to Jesus Christ, surrendered to Jesus Christ, and there was a difference. There was a difference. Oh yes, they were still people, but Jesus Christ was at the helm of their life. And I say still today, this is foundational to a healthy, vibrant church that is an authentic salvation experience. But let us go on here and note six proofs, five or six proofs at least, of their love and appreciation for their church. What are they here? Well, first of all, I note in verse 42 that they continued steadfastly. And in fact, we see a similar thing in verse 46. They continued daily. But here, verse 42, it says, they continued steadfastly. Or another way to say that is they, they devoted themselves to the following things. Uh, to continue steadfastly, it has the idea of, of persevering, of being constantly diligent, of giving careful attention to all the exercises, uh, to pay close attention to. Well, what do they continue steadfastly in? And I would note these as perhaps the four pillars of the early church. And it was this, the Apostles' Doctrine. Okay, so the Apostles' Doctrine, what was that? Well, no doubt it was the teachings of Jesus. But along with that, it was the teaching and preaching that flowed out of that, the teaching and preaching of the Apostles themselves. Pillar, the Apostles' Doctrine. Second pillar, fellowship. And this is the word koinonia. This is the Greek koinonia, which literally means partnership or participation. Okay? And along with that, we have the idea of ownership. In other words, this is my church. I'm a part of this church. I'm a partner in this church. You see, if you're a partner in a business, if there's ownership in a business then you as an owner are willing to give. You're willing to sacrifice. You're willing to do what you need to do for the good of that business, okay? And the same is true here for these people. There was koinonia. There was fellowship. There was partnership. There was participation. And there was beauty experienced because of that. There was ownership there. This is my church. I care about it. I will do what I can To help this church grow and be alive. Thirdly, another pillar is the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. And there is differences of opinion on what all this means. Certainly it referred partly to their communion. Their time of the Lord's Supper. But along with that it could have referred also to... Large gathered times of eating together. Fellowship meals. We do that yet today. Fellowship meals. That was an important part of who the early church was. And fourthly, another pillar of the early church was prayer. Collective prayer. Times of prayer together. It says that they continued steadfastly in these things. But, it, but it's very obvious that this church, they enjoyed getting together. For times of worship, for times of fellowship, they didn't see it as an option, but they saw it as a need, a necessity. I need this in my life. You see, they understood that fellowship with the believers was vital to their personal spiritual health. And dear people, I'm concerned that as I look out in the broader Christian church, it's something that that is going away in modern times. Is going away. There is more and more uh, professing believers who don't see the importance of church membership and commitment to the local body. There's a spirit of individualism, individualism that is coming in among us. And saying that I can have my relationship with God. I don't really need you. Because we don't really agree anyway. But I agree with God. And I can have my relationship with God. And I find peace there. But you not so much. That is not the model we find from scripture whatsoever. And so they understood. That fellowship with the believers was vital. To their personal spiritual health. And the fact that they uh, continued steadfastly indicates their commitment to Jesus Christ and their love and appreciation for each other. Let's note another proof here of their appreciation and love for the church, and that is, there was unity. Verse 44a, there was unity. And all that believed were together. They were together. Verse 46, they continuing daily with one accord. There was a spirit of unity among the believers in that congregation. Let me just mention a few things here about unity. Now, biblical unity is not defined necessarily by cookie-cutter perspectives, okay? Biblical unity does not mean that we will all think exactly alike, that we will all come out exactly alike in our understanding of a certain thing. In fact, uh, the strength and beauty of unity is found in differences, And the Apostle Paul makes that clear in various places. Forced togetherness is not unity, but instead uniformity, okay? And there's a difference. Because if you look up the meaning of those, uniformity has to do with not varying in form, okay? So the package all looks the same. There's uniformity. That's one thing. Unity has to do with a oneness in mind, a oneness in spirit, a harmony in spirit, dear people, that is so much stronger. That is so much deeper. And I'm not in any way trying to, uh, to throw out uh, uniformity and in, in togetherness in practice. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. I'm just trying to say that true biblical unity is that of the spirit of a person and not just simply the outer shell. That is where strength is. And we see that, I believe, in these people here. There was a togetherness. There was one accord that knit them together. And that was a proof that they appreciated one another. Thirdly, there was a genuine concern for needs. A genuine concern for needs. Uh, Last part of 44, they had all things common. In verse 45, they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Okay? And so they gave up their things, and instead they became a community that, that helped one another. It wasn't, it wasn't a community that each man was self-supportive, as it were, but it was a community where they needed one another. And in, I find it interesting that, that they did that purposefully. Like they put themselves in that position where they needed, I need something from Dan, and and someone needs something from me, and we share what we have, I wonder sometimes if we're missing a little bit something with that. Like, too often times, we feel like when we have to borrow something, like it's a, it's a, it's a, a picture of weakness, or like, why is he borrowing that from me? Like, Isn't he, like, why doesn't he have it himself? Or is he too poor to, like, did he not plan correctly? Or, like, sometimes we look down on on that. And, in fact, here I see that they purposefully structured their community so that they would need things from each other. (laughs) I think there's something very beautiful about borrowing. And I I think there's something about borrowing that builds brotherhood. If we all had everything we needed and we didn't have to ask help or ask for anything, we would miss a lot of opportunity for fellowship and for community, as it were. But it's when we help each other, it's when we share our stuff with each other, that we then have more opportunity to mingle and to talk. Those times of borrowing, I say create brotherhood, There's something there that I think we could probably do a little better in some ways. And and God, help us not to look down on each other in those situations. I'm blessed by that example here. There was genuine concern for needs. They saw that. And so our appreciation for the local church is made evident then when we have an eye for the needs around us. And then we do something about it. It's one thing to have an eye. It's another thing to do something about it. It involves giving our time, our energy, our money. And once again, it's not out of duty, but it's out of sincere love and appreciation for each other. And that attitude, I believe, was evident in the early church. Uh, Truly, love is expressed through action. I note then that another proof of their love and appreciation for the church is that church was central. Verse 46, church was central, and they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat. We'll leave that for now. But, but the thrust there is that this was a daily thing. Their fellowship, their worship, their togetherness was a daily thing. A church was a priority in their lives. It wasn't just a place they went on Sundays. But it, the church was their brothers and sisters in Christ. Who they fellowshiped with. Who they were accountable to on a daily basis. You see the church was their life. It wasn't just a place. It was their life. It was the people. And there was a there was a necessity there for them to be together. And they felt that. And so... Because the church was a priority, there were other things that had to take back seat. Is that not how it is in your life? When something is a priority to you, when something is a major focus to you, not everything can be a priority. Not everything can be number one. Other things had to take second place and and further on down the ladder. But here, the church was a priority, and so no doubt there were other things that had to take back seat. It appears that these people, they saw it that way and were happy to do it. Now, I'm sure they had other things to do in life other than worship together and eat in each other's homes. I'm sure there were other things to do, but it speaks here of what was important to them, what was most important, what drove them, what really made them tick. Serving the church, meeting the needs around them, that was a priority. Their lives revolved around the church. And the priority of the church, I say, brought joy to their lives. Look at the last part of verse 46. They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness or sincerity of heart. It brought joy to their lives. And service does that, dear people. I know our flesh militates against that. But serving Jesus Christ. And serving one another. Even though it might not feel good in the moment. Even though it might be sort of against what we are programmed in the flesh to do. Yet there is a deep sense of joy. There is a deep sense of reward that comes with service. And we see that here. They related to each other with glad and sincere hearts they served one another willingly their relationships were warm and personal well it speaks here in verse 46 of hospitality sharing in each other's homes it it sounds like that was something they did quite a bit they shared in each other's homes they opened their homes to their brothers and sisters, to the families in their church. And so there was hospitality, there was generosity, there was an openness, there was a transparency, as it were, in their gathering. And there's not even a hint uh, that they were doing this out of duty, but we can certainly gather that it was out of heartfelt concern and appreciation. And lastly, I would just say here, uh, they experienced sweet fellowship. Uh, verse 46 and four, verses, yeah 46 and 47, I think, bring this out. Uh, they experience sweet fellowship with each other. You know, when there is a lack of true love and appreciation for the local body of believers, the fellowship suffers. The fellowship suffers. But here we have a beautiful picture of those who, first of all They experienced an authentic salvation experience. Flowing out of that was a love and appreciation for each other. And flowing out of that was goodwill, was sweet fellowship. And let me just say that 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 is attractive. That is attractive. The Lord richly blessed them. Look here what we read in the latter part of verse 47. The Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. There's something beautiful. There's something attractive about a local body of believers that loves each other. That gives and takes. That is able to work through differences. There's something beautiful about that. And so the church was growing. There was spiritual growth. And along with that spiritual growth came a numerical growth. <laughs> the numbers were increasing more and more. You know, I can imagine people looking on and saying, Wow, that's so beautiful. Do you see how those people interact? Do you see how they work together? Do you see how when there's a problem, they go there and they spend time and they, they laugh with them and they cry with them? And I wish I could have that. I want to be a part of that. And so as the testimony of the church grew, it then drew more people to it that shared a similar love and commitment. Let me just put it this way, that church appreciation breeds church appreciation. Church appreciation breeds church appreciation. Let me just give a little word for us as parents on this matter. Where there are fathers and mothers that are joyfully committed to supporting and appreciating the church, the children will more quickly follow. Will more quickly follow. But dear people, sadly the opposite is true as well. When there is a lack of of wholehearted love and appreciation for the church within the parents, well, the children are more quickly to follow that as well. Church appreciation breeds church appreciation. And so a word to myself, a word for all of us as parents. Uh, May God help our homes to be seedbeds for heartfelt church appreciation. Now, I'd like to note a few things yet. I want us to note briefly the Apostle Paul's incredible love that he had for the churches, which he related to. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this is just one example. In fact, In every book he writes, the Apostle Paul has warm words of appreciation. He has words of love for the brotherhood in each city. Yes, even the Corinthian church of all churches. (laughs) Even the Corinthian church. But let us not forget that the church in Corinth had a number of very troubling things about it. One is the church had Judaizers who were the ultra-conservative ones who sort of based their holiness on outward appearance. Okay, It's about uniformity. They based their holiness in those matters. So there were some of those in the church. Uh, The church had some older members who were still spiritual babies, as it were. There was a group in the church who was thinking about taking someone to court, believe it or not. Does that sound like brotherhood? There was also a member who was relating to his father's wife in a very immoral way. And Paul knew that. Paul's aware of that. And yet, look what he has to say to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. He says, I thank my God always on your behalf. For the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom ye were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, Paul was keenly aware of some serious problems in this congregation. And yet he loved them. Yet he thanked God for them. How could he do that? What was it that allowed him, that enabled him to be able to do that? You see, Paul's love and appreciation for the church at Corinth and for the churches in general that he related to was not dependent on the human element it was not dependent on his brother or sister's level of spirituality or on their behavior on a certain day. That's not what grounded him. That's not what what was the you know, how he moved forward and made his decisions. I will love this church if they act this way, and if they don't, I won't. That's not what it was at all. Instead, his love and appreciation for the church was rooted in his love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of his sincere love for the groom, came a love for the bride. Okay? And so, what a powerful example for us today. And I believe it leaves us with a challenge. And that is, for me at least, where is my focus? As I look at the collective body of believers, as I look at our local congregation, where is my focus? Is my focus on the problems... Is my focus on the things that I see as disturbing or is my focus on the Lord Jesus Christ? Is my focus on the head of the church? Let me just say that generally speaking, people move in the direction of their focus. People move in the direction of their focus. Even when that focus is negative and they don't like it, and that's something they don't want to be, they never intend to be, yet when that becomes their focus, generally speaking, people tend to move in that direction. That's a sobering thing to ponder. Where is your focus? What is it that consumes you? What is it that consumes your thoughts about our church? Is it the things you don't agree with? Is it the problems? Or is it Jesus Christ? Is it the head of the church? Something for us to ponder. I would like to close yet this morning from Ephesians chapter (coughs) 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We enjoyed looking at the first part of this chapter in our Sunday school this morning. And I'd like to look at a few of the last verses here. But I'd like for us to note the greatest biblical example of church appreciation there has ever been, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if Paul, in his humanness, was so in love with a local church, can we grasp the love that Jesus Christ has for his bride? Can we grasp the love that Jesus Christ has for this congregation today? Now, we'll look at the last number of verses, verses 22 through 32. Now, oftentimes, these verses are used maybe at a wedding or in a message about the family describing how a husband should care for his wife or how a husband should love his wife and then also how a wife should respect and submit and honor her husband. And I believe those applications are right. They're wonderful. But these verses are deeply descriptive Of the love and appreciation that Jesus Christ has for his church. That's really what it's about because in the end the Apostle Paul says this is a great mystery but I'm really speaking about Christ in the church. That's the thrust here. And so as I read these verses instead of focusing on what the husband should do or what the wife should do, I want you to take special note of what Jesus has done and is continuing to do And gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it. Speaking here of the church. Not the wives. (laughs) That he might sanctify and cleanse it. With the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself. A glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle. Or any such thing. But that it should be holy. And without blemish. So ought men to love their wives. As their own bodies. He that loveth his wife. Loveth himself. So, how much does Jesus Christ love the church? How much does Jesus Christ love and appreciate this body of believers? Well, what does the Apostle Paul write here? He loves us so much that he gave his very life to redeem us. Verse 25. He gave his very life to redeem us. That's how much he loves the church. How much does Christ love the church? Well, he loves us so much that he is continuing, uh, continually at work to cleanse us and to prepare us for eternity. Uh, verses 26 and 27. That he might sanctify it. That he might cleanse it. That he might present to himself a glorious church. No spot. No wrinkle. Any such thing like that. But holy and without blemish. He loves us so much that he is continually doing that work for his church, his body, preparing us for eternity with him. Well, how much does Jesus Christ love the church? Well, he loves us so much that he is nourishing us or he is feeding us. He is making us healthy. He cares about our health, our spiritual health and well-being. He is nourishing us. He is cherishing us. He sustains us. He protects us. Verse 29. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. But he nourishes it. And he cherishes it. Even as the Lord. The church. You see. That's how much Jesus Christ loves his church. Well how much. Does Jesus Christ love us. How much does he love his church. In fact. In verse 30 we see. That his love for us is so deep. And his identification with us is so real that he considers us a part of his own body. Can you believe that? (laughs) He considers us a part of his own body. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. That's to the very core of being. He says, you're mine. You're mine. I've bought you. I've redeemed you. That's a lot of love. That's a lot of appreciation. That we're not worthy of. And yet Jesus says. You're a part of me to the very core. Well truly. This is a great and wonderful mystery. It really is. And I say if such love and appreciation for the church. Is this important to Jesus Christ. Should it not be important to you and me. Should it not. Uh, We are. To pattern our lives after his example. And certainly caring about what Jesus cares about is our true calling in life. Well, I don't know exactly where you are this morning in your love and appreciation for the church. But I trust that this can be a challenge to all of us. As it has been to me as I have prepared this and worked on this myself. And it is my prayer that as we've looked at these examples in the Bible... That our appreciation for the local church will be strengthened. That it will give us a, a new and a fresh appreciation for this body of believers that we fellowship with, that we worship with, that we live with. And may we all come to experience the joys and blessings of commitment to the local body of believers. We'll call for a song.